So today's gospel is the, that of the Gerasene demoniac uh, possessed by a legion of demons. And it's, a very, it's quite a long gospel today, uh, quite a dramatic one. Um, but it, I think it reveals a lot to us about spiritual warfare, about the spiritual battle, about the, the battle with evil, which is something that isn't really spoken about a whole lot today because I guess it is, it is, it is spiritual by nature, so there's a lot we don't really know about it. But there are some things that we, we can be clear about it. It's important if, if we are involved in a spiritual battle, which I think we all are, whether we want to or not, this spiritual battle is going on around us and probably within us, it's good to be aware of how the enemy works. Because then we can recognize his tactics. And maybe unfortunately, uh, in what I'm about to say, maybe you'll recognize some of those things in, in your own life. So this man who's possessed, the Gerasene demoniac, he is in an absolutely pitiful state okay so where does he live he lives in tombs okay i mean tombs where corpses are where there's death and decay and darkness and and hopelessness that's where he lives and he's howling and then one particular line which always just just always gets me in the heart he gashes himself he cuts himself you know today like when when there's so much uh, self-harm and so much sadness out there like I, I can't help but, but, but think of, of this like when, when your own body becomes something you don't like something you don't want something you don't accept something that actually disgusts you and in order to, to, to feel something or in order to feel release uh, one cuts oneself it's, it's, it's a very sad it's a very very sad place to be it's a very lonely place to be if that's what you have to do to feel, to feel anything or to feel, as I say, some sort of release for this uh, emptiness that you feel inside. So it's, it's a very, very pitiful state to be in. So this man really is in a bad way. Now, interestingly, he catches sight of Jesus and he runs to Jesus. He runs to him and then he shouts at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, listen to this line, okay? A man who's possessed says this, Swear by God that you will not torture me. So a man who's possessed is saying, swear to God that you will not torture me. What does that say? What does the demon recognize implicitly in what he's saying? That God is powerful and that God's name is powerful. That God's name is holy. Swear by God that you will stop torturing me. So th this is of value, you know, that, that, that God's name is of value, even, even to this man. Why? Because like, the demons know God, I think, better than we do. Because they, they, they knew him, they recognized him, they were with him when they rejected him. So they had full knowledge of what they were doing. They saw God as he is, and they chose to reject him. So just a... Um, two little brief points about, about angels. Angels have, have a superior intellect to us, so they're smarter than us, and they have a superior will to us. Um, and our, our intellect, we forget things very easily, and our intelligence is limited in the first place. So we're not very smart, and we forget things, and we're not very smart, and we forget more things. So, I mean, we're, we're great and all. I mean, that, we shouldn't be, like, downcast about ourselves, but, like, you know, angels are smarter. They absolutely have a superior intellect. Um, and they have a superior will. Our will can be kind of fickle. Maybe one day you want to, and the next day you don't really. And with angels, it's not like, angels don't have these kind of mood swings. 
and if they're hungry, everything is great, and if they're tired, everything is terrible. That's, angels don't have that. So when the angels saw God as he is and heard Satan say, I will not serve, I will not serve a God who takes on a nature inferior to mine. I'm an angel, so we have God, angels, human beings. God's nature is superior to everyone, there's no contest. Angels' na nature is superior to ours, and then you've got a human. So I will not serve a God who takes on a human nature, because then that God is inferior to me. I will not serve. And in saying that, then he brings a third of the angels, well, a third of the angels chose to follow him. So they knew what they were doing. That's why their choice, when they make that choice, that choice is made forever. Can an angel convert? Strictly speaking, no. Because they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. So their decision is made forever. It's not a lack of God's mercy. It's they knew exactly what they were doing for all time. Okay, uh, that aside, just so we understand how, how demons think in a way. They're smarter than us and they recognize God. They know God. But they recognized him and rejected him. So, swear by God, you will not torture me. And Jesus says to him, what is your name? That's a typical thing for exorcisms as well. Uh, they try to identify the name of the demon because in having a name, you can then command it. So you command the demon by name to leave. My name is Legion, he said, for there are many of us. Okay, so the demoniac here, in his pitiful state, still recognizes that God is good and still has to obey what Jesus says. I mean, often in kind of popular mentality, you've got kind of God versus the devil and they're kind of on par. They're not even close to on par, right? You have God who's almighty and you have Satan who's a fallen angel, a powerful angel, but an angel, a creature nonetheless. Not on par with God. This isn't 50-50 here at all. God is infinitely more powerful. So the, the, the demons do have to obey. In an exorcism, the demons do have to obey. When the exorcist has the authority to be there, has the mandate from the bishop, the demons have to obey. Why? Because God is almighty and they are not. So like, I think that that's, that should be comforting or consoling for us. Like, you know, In the horror movies, it looks very different. Uh, it looks like evil will probably be victorious in the end. Uh, that is not the case. Not the case at all. God is almighty and the angels are creatures. Okay. So, okay, I'm, I want to move on from, from, from the gospel story, though, and just think a little about how demons work, how they affect us. I heard it explained once by, by a priest that a demon is like a good boxer, right? If in a boxing match, uh, a boxer lands a good punch. So if you know, for example, you, if, if you cut a guy over the eye or you know you got a good punch into the, into the ribs, that's what you go for. Once you've hurt him, that's what you keep going for. You, you know, a couple of jabs just to distract him and then in again. Once you've hurt him, that's where you go for. You find the weak point. And once you find the weak point, you try to drive a wedge in there to make that weak point, that crack, that fracture even bigger. So that's how the enemy works. If they land a good punch, if they, if, if, if they see a weakness, that is what they encourage. Now that weakness can be practically anything. It can be, uh, if you're too attached to material things, too attached to career, too attached to your looks, too attached to, um, in, in, in the sporting world, a particular victory, winning a certain medal, winning a certain championship, uh, 
too attached to pleasure, too attached to, it can be anything. Or if you think of like the, the original temptation in, in, in the Garden of, of Eden, right? Uh, Satan comes to, to Eve and says, is it true that you're not allowed to eat of the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? Now the question already implies that God, God is holding something back, isn't he? I mean, he creates all these things and then says you can't have any of it. Why would he do that? Is he really good? Is he good? Are you sure? Sounds a bit cruel to create all these lovely things and then tell you you can't have any of them. That was never God's command. They could, they could enjoy the beauty of all of creation and of all of the shrubs and trees and plants, all bar one. All bar one. So of all the other millions of trees, they could enjoy and eat and so on and so forth. God wasn't holding anything back. God wasn't being mean. God wasn't being unloving. But automatically they see this little crack. Can we, can we sow this little doubt in her mind? Maybe God isn't good. Maybe God isn't good. A very similar uh, temptation that you and I will have when the cross comes our way, when something goes wrong, or when, when there's a bereavement in the family. Where was God? Why did that happen? Someone got sick in your family. Where was God? Why did that happen? Why didn't he stop it if he's almighty? Is he really good? Is he? Are you sure? I don't know now. And then he finds that crack, finds that crack in your, in your faith and tries to drive a wedge into it, spread it, make that, make that crack into a chasm. Or maybe he'll tempt us then to, to soften the pain with alcohol or with who knows what substance to try and just make things just that bit easier. Or he'll dr- try to drive uh, a wedge into wherever there's, there's good God-centered unity. Think of a marriage, right? Where these two people are now bound in, in a, with a sacramental grace and the enemy wants to divide them. So he'll use anything. He'll use anything. Uh, you know the way I've ever been in a situation where, where if you're have, having a, a, a difficulty with someone, have you ever noticed how the mind can just start to list all of their faults? Have you ever noticed that? Is that just me? Am I the only one here? Uh, where you just, you know, you have a, there's, I remember I was, um, I had a difficulty with a seminarian a uh, brother of mine, and uh, I just found it difficult to get on with him. I just found, found him very, very, very difficult. And I remember catching myself once, uh, sitting down, <laughs> sitting down at the dinner table, and I just caught myself listing all of the situations where he did something that was wrong or annoyed me. You know, and I was just, I was just sitting there going through each each item on my list. So I brought it to to. My, my spiritual director, Father Paul, I was talking to him, I said, uh, yeah, I, I find it hard to, to love this guy. And he said, okay, serve him. I said, I will, sorry. <laughs> do I have anything else? Is there anything else I can do? Can I just pray for him? He said, no. Well, you can pray for him as well, yeah. But serve him. You know, so when he sat down at the table then the following day, um, the way our tables are arranged, the, 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 the the tables are up against the wall, so there's one bench up against the wall, and then you have free seats in the front. But people, in, people up against the wall and the benches, they can't get out to serve themselves with the plates because they're kind of boxed in by everybody else. So basically, the people on the outside with the chairs serve the people on the inside. So I deliberately sat opposite him, picked up his plate. I was about to say his name. That was dangerous. <laughs> picked up his plate, and I said, yeah, you know, what do you want? You want two slices, one slice? What can I get for you? 
And it was like something, had, something small, something small had to die in me just to serve him. It was only a small thing, but it was just a really good lesson for me for how, how the enemy works to divide and how we can overcome that with acts of love and service and just very simple things that nobody on the outside would even notice. But you're choosing to love. You're choosing to do the right thing, even though it may be hard. You're choosing to stay in contact with someone who has ignored you. You're choosing to, uh, yeah, even though you may feel like you're making all the effort, you're choosing to keep a friendship alive. You know, you're choosing to do the right thing. Rather than allow a wedge of division to creep in, because this is what the, the, the enemy does. He seeks to divide and conquer, divide and destroy. So, for you and I today, we won't see anything as dramatic as, as this gospel where 2,000 pigs dive off the side of a cliff. And yet, you and I actually do have to do battle with, with demons. We're not possessed, most of us. We're not possessed, uh, but, but there are demons around us. Padre Pio even said, if the demons that are around you now were to take corporeal forms, so if they were to take on a body, they would darken the sun. So they, they are around us. I mean, again, we don't live in fear, but they are around us. They are there. God is always more powerful, but demons exist. They're real, and they are around us. They tempt us constantly. So we overcome them, not, by, not with weapons of a, the, a standard sort, but by the sacraments and sacramentals. So living from the power of the Eucharist, living from the power of confession, living from the sacramental grace of marriage, if, if you have it, living from the sacramental grace of holy orders, if you have it. Sacramentals, our consecration to Our Lady, miraculous medal, holy water, brown scapular, uh, relics, all these things do work because they're holy things. So that's how, and then sacraments, sacramentals, and then our own will, that I choose to do the honorable thing, the right thing, the hard thing, the loving thing, that I choose love that I choose love. So we ask the Lord today to lead us in our battles, to lead us to victory, to lead us to peace, to lead us to overcome every uh, difficulty, dare I say every demon, that we have to face. That the Lord, in his power, may command any demon oppressing us right now to leave, to be bound to the foot of the cross, and that he may be given no permission to return ever. Amen.